thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. I mean, goodness, if you're not pumped up by now, I don't know what we can do for you. We have shots of adrenaline on your way out this morning, and you can take that with you to the workplace, or maybe you're a full-time mother. You could do that. And I know Brandy probably needs a shot of adrenaline, so we'll work on that this morning. Hey, we're so excited to have you here this morning at Luminous Church with us. Oh, man, I love worship. Worship is taking these theological concepts, these philosophical ideas of God, and moving them from your head to your heart. And that's why we worship every morning. That's why we worship here at Luminous Church, because we want this idea of God to penetrate something deeper than, than knowledge. We want Him to move into here and, and lead you and guide you and speak to you in only ways that Jesus can speak. And so that's our hope for you every morning, and that's why we worship and um, if you are emotionally exhausted, it's okay. You can go to sleep. I'll trust that Jesus already moved in you this morning. Man, so excited about this series, Make History. Um, Ashley and the team wrote this song, Make History. And uh, we got to sing it this morning. And, and be a part of the sermon series. Be a part of it. Sing it. Get it into our heart, God, that we would be a people that join you in what you're already doing. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to do. That's our hope. That's our desire. In this video, I love the epic moment of the last man in the video running and crossing the finish line. If you have your Luminous Church app, there's a poll on there. What year was this Olympics? What year was this Olympics? Now, don't shout it out. Don't, don't help your neighbor. Don't be like the Patriots and cheat. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I don't think they did. I'm actually a Patriot fan, believe it or not. Uh, but Russell Wilson is a Christian, so I don't know. We'll see what God does today on the football field. So all that say, man, uh, what, what year was this? Uh, I love Usain Bolt. I love this moment. I love his, pole, his pose, the lightning bolt. Huh? Go ahead and do that. Go ahead and do that to maybe your wife that you're sitting next to. Show her your guns. Uh, she will appreciate that, I'm sure. I love this moment. The answer is on the screen, or is it? <laughs> hey, as, as um, Usain Bolt, as he um, began to do this, he, he did something phenomenal. And Michael Johnson, we know Michael Johnson, the, the man from the United States who set the record in the 200 meter in the late 90s in the Olympics. He said this about Usain Bolt. He said, Bolt is a freak of nature. Don't quote me on this. He's a freak of nature because, you see, he was born before his time. There is no one like this man. In fact, he should have been in the 2040 Olympics. They won't be running like that until 40 years from now. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. And yet so providential. And yet so amazing. Um, just the destiny of Hussein and what was made up in him in order to accomplish this thing. Which leads us to you this morning and the book of Esther. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Esther. I don't know how in the next 15 minutes we're going to cover 10 chapters in the Bible. I have no idea how that's going to happen. 
Um, so bear with me and we will do our best. Esther is a phenomenal story and a, a phenomenal account that happened in history. And, and it's, it's one that has to deal with people. In fact, God's name isn't mentioned once in the book of Esther. It's the hardest book to preach if you are a pastor. And so let's just say my task was easy this week. As we began to set this up, you have, you have King Xerxes, you have um, him, you have four characters, you have Mordecai, you have Haman, and you have Esther. And, and what you have is you have the king throwing a 180-day party. How many of you want to go to a 180-day party? It was such a good party that they had an after party for seven days. And that's how good a party it was. And when this king is on his wine and in his stupor, he calls his current wife to him, Vashti, Queen Vashti. And then he dismisses her because she refuses to come to him. And then here comes Esther. Esther comes about and, and he begins to look for a woman. And Esther's time appears. Esther's time is now. Esther 2.7. I'm going to extrapolate a few things from this, this few books for us this morning. I will talk fast, as fast as I can, to get what I think God wants to leave us with. This morning. So Esther 2 7. Esther 2 7. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. That's awkward. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. The spirit of adoption we see in Esther. We see, we see Mordecai, the uncle, seeing an orphaned woman who is beautiful in nature. And this is just a strange book because a woman, because of her beauty, is brought into God's sovereignty in order to save the Jewish people. It's just, it's hard to wrestle with. But what I do think what we see here is we see a spirit of adoption. We see a spirit of adoption where Mordecai grabs this orphaned woman and there's purpose in that. There's purpose in that. And I believe, and I want to leave you with many thoughts today that may not all fall in line, but we're going to look at these people. That relationships are key. Relationships are key. I've said this over and over again. It's something that I've been saying since I was 19 years old, and I believe it, that somebody may have the keys to your destiny. Somebody may have the keys to unlock your destiny. And here we find Esther and Mordecai. And Mordecai has the keys for Esther. He grabs her. And because of that, destiny is fulfilled through her life and in her life. And I think it's no different than your relationships now. Your relationships now. You know, young professionals all the time are talking about networking. How many of you talk about networking? How many of you been to some networking parties? It's all about your personal brand, right? I got to promote my personal brand, my personal agenda. And there's only one you in the world, right? And there's, because there's only one you in the world, then you have to make everybody know how awesome you are. And so we begin to network and network and network. And we do this. The difference between networking and how the world sees relationships and God sees relationship is pivotal. For us to understand, you see, a godly relationship, godly networking is not what I can get from this relationship, but what can I give to the relationship I'm in? How can I love them? How can I release them into something? How can they go further because I met them? 
That's what the kind of networking that we need to do here at this church and through our people. We need some godly networking. We call, we call it another word. We call it love. That we would love one another. So what the world says, hey, instead of take from one another, why don't you give to one another? And when you see that happen, something amazing will fulfill, be fulfilled in their life. And that's what Mordecai was saying with Esther. I'm going to adopt you not because of what I can get out of this relationship. I'm going to adopt you because I see you as an orphan. And I want you to have a home and a place. And I want you to go further than I've ever gone. It's my prayer and it's every father's prayer. That your son would go further than you ever went. That your daughter would be greater than you could ever imagine. It's our heart here. And I have, to, I have to apologize for something because our projector went out today. And because our projector went out, we stole the kid's projector. Yes, we did. We did that. Impulsive decision making. And I want to apologize because I've, I've said from day one that we're putting our kids first. And so if we ever lose a projector again, we'll go without. And we'll give the kids their projector. So I apologize in front of you for not fulfilling the vision of our church. Now I, I submit that to you. That we could be a people that our kids would go further. That things would happen. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doing that. We will not do that again. Hold me accountable to that, please. I'm real impulsive. Man, you have Mordecai, and he adopts Esther, and this moment happens, this God moment happens, where basically the king makes a decree that everybody needs to bow to him and Haman, and as a result, um, Mordecai refuses to bow. It's a powerful moment. We'll pick it up in Esther 3, 2 through 3. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Mordecai refuses to bow down. There's an interesting principle that we're about to get into, and I think you need to take it with you. That us, as believers, need to refuse to bow down. we got to pick it up in verse 8. Then Haman said to the king, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. They are God's chosen people. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not the king's profit to tolerate them. There is a law that supersedes the law of the natural. There is a law that supersedes the law of the natural. And if the law that I'm talking about, the spiritual law that God has put in place, if it is infringed upon, then you, there's a moment that you have to stand and refuse to submit. And God lays that out directly. And the question for you and many questions that y'all can talk about in community group because I don't have all the answers for them. What do you do if a law violates God's law? What do you do if a law is implemented on you and your belief system that says you must hate 
your neighbor and you must hate God. What do you do with that? In 2010, I raised money for a mission trip, $3,800. One nation, one day, you can do it. Shameless plug, we're going on a mission trip, you need to go. Raised $3,800, I take a team over there. And our whole mission was to go love these kids and do an outreach to them and VBS to them. I was there and I sat down with many pastors and had many conversations. The pastor we were with had a church congregation. For two years, they moved 47 times. 47 times. Why did they move 47 times? Because it is illegal to have a church that is not registered with the states. Not registered like the United States. Our luminous church is registered because we're registered. We're legit. But the, the government imposes laws on them that keeps them from God's law. We are going to dictate how you love God, and we're going to dictate how you love one another. And we want you to register to us so we make sure that you are living out what we dictate. And I was talking to these men who love God so passionately, so amazing. They were beaten, jailed. Two months before we landed, the pastor who was running this Christian camp for these kids just got out of prison. Face to face with a man who was persecuted. Face to face with a man who refused to bow. But it's not just in China that that happens, but it happens every day in your workplace, in your family, at Starbucks. There are things that are coming against you that are causing you and wanting you to bow to them. Galatians 5 22 to 23 says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Everybody say, no law. There is no law. There is no law. I love these fruits of the Spirit because these fruits of the Spirit aren't natural. They aren't natural. And every time you pray for them, circumstances happen, right? Like, you know, I want to be humble. I want to be humble. I want to be gentle. I want to do these things. Well, God will give you an opportunity to be gentle and humble. I was praying about arrogance last night. It was weird. I was talking to this guy, and he was really cool. And, and I do this thing when I'm talking to arrogant men, um, because all men are arrogant. I don't know why. But I do this thing where I'm just, I, I feel like I need to even be more arrogant and put them in their place. It's true. It's sad. It's really sad. So, I'm like, you know, I'll try to use my wit. Which there's not a lot, but I try. And, uh, and I walked away from the conversation. I'm like, man, I'm just so arrogant. I mean, why? Who am I to put this person in their place? That's, that's God's job. So I'm praying about it. Benson's in the back I'm of the Tahoe, and we're driving. I'm just, I'm literally got worship music on my phone. We will not be shaken, no longer slaves. And, man, I was just playing it, and I'm so, so worshiping, and I'm just, God, man, just let me not be arrogant. Just work that out in me. And, Lord, I just pray for that. And then here come the red and blue right behind me. Yes, yes, Lord, you're awesome and so sovereign. 
and I get pulled over. And he asked for my license and registration, which my license hasn't been renewed since April. So conviction comes upon me. Not only am I arrogant, but I'm irresponsible, Jesus. It was a horrible moment. He goes, sir, do you know how fast you were going? I have no idea. I'm just lost. I'm just really just praying about this moment that we're having right now. Actually, he goes, you're going 47 and a 30. Whoa, 30 miles an hour. Really? But man, I was just, he was so gentle, so amazing with love and with care. Probably because he saw Benson in the back. I appreciate that. <laughs> you don't have any kids, just put a dummy back there. Maybe it worked. <laughs> man, I don't, I don't know, man, but, you know, I just, I mean, I was just so nice to this guy. I just, I mean, there's no rebellion, no authority issue, which normally is when you get pulled over. Um, no pride because I'm demasculated as people are driving by looking at me and <laughs> laughing and pointing. <laughs> right? So, so there's things as you're praying for, like, Lord, we want your law. Lord, we want the things. We want your fruit. We want this, these things. But as you do, it will be tested. It will be tested. Okay, let's move into the heart of the scripture, Esther chapter 4. This is really what you put on your bathroom mirror this week, um, the things that you will help motivate you. Esther 4, 13 through 14. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. So we found Esther. She's chosen. She's beautiful. She's there. She's with the king. The king loves her, but, but she's there for a moment. And Mordecai's explaining this moment. There's a decree that says, we're going to kill all your people. And Esther, you think you're safe because you're a queen. I'm telling you, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You won't get off the hook, Esther. You're not Jonah. And I'm telling you, most of us are not Jonahs in this room. God's not going to throw you in the ocean and get you in a well. He's just going to say, I'll use somebody else. It happens so many times. So how do you wrestle with that, right? Because, because you're like, okay, God is completely sovereign. He's going to use me to do what he wants to do. But if I don't choose to participate, then he will use somebody else. And it feels like a contradiction, but I'm telling you, it's more specific. Well, maybe God is going to carry you into a Jonah moment, but I think for most of us, it's an Esther moment. For most of us, we have a choice to make. For most of us, are we going to partner with God or are we going to sit on the bench? And there's a participation, a godly participation with us and God. I don't want to let you know that, that yes, God's completely in control. And yes, he wants to use you. I don't get it. I don't get it. And here we have two different stories, same contradictions, and yet specific for those people. And I think so many of us want to be Jonah's, or so many of us want to be Esther's, and I don't think it is as descriptive or as prescriptive as we think. It's more descriptive, and, and God has something for you, and he's going to work on that condition in your heart. I do know that, just like he's working on my arrogance, and, and a police officer will pull me over, and if I don't deal with that, I guarantee you, Something else will happen. 
for such a time as this, Esther, this is, this is maybe why God has elevated you. Such a time as this, this is maybe why you're a husband of your family. But such a time as this, maybe this is why you're at UTSA. But such a time as this, maybe that's why you're at Luminous Church. For such a time as this, maybe that's why you're writing the book you're writing. For such a time as this, maybe God has put you in a place to do something with you. No excuses. Esther 4, 15 through 16. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in, in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I am a young woman. I am my young women. I am my young women. I hope she's young. I don't know. Well, also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That statement is fearful. That statement's frightening. I'm going to go. And I'm not supposed to go. And if I go and he doesn't hold out the golden scepter to me, then I could be killed. Then my life's on the line here. Stand up for my people. My life's on the line here to stand up for Jesus. My life's on the line here to stand up for God's law. My life's on the line here to love that coworker, even though it may cost me my job. My life is on the line. But God, you put that in my heart. So I will go. And if I perish, I perish. But notice the preference to the statement that all my friends and all the people that I'm faced with a big decision. So will you pray for me? Will you fast together? It's why we do life together. It's why we're in community together. It's why we go to our group together. Because when you're faced with the decision that you could tell your group, there's a big decision in my life. Pray for me. Fast. Three things that happen through fasting. I think three things. A fast allows people to be ready for whatever happens. A fast prepares your heart for the outcome. A fast focuses all the people on one goal, on one purpose. A fast centers unity with God and man. It's why we fast together. It's why we fast at the beginning of this year together. It's why we'll fast again together. Because we're in this together. Esther 417. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Mordecai was leading Esther, and because of courage, Esther was able to lead Mordecai. Courage is leadership. Decisions and moments of desperation is courage. So she goes to the king and something amazing happens. It's fulfilled in Esther 5. 5, Haman has everything. Talks about 5, he has everything. He has every woman he wants. I think maybe just one, but I'm not sure. And then he has, he has all of God's, like all, all of like 
provision. He has things. He has cars. He has houses. He has, he has the life, man. And, and the thing that we can learn from Haman is this dude is never satisfied. It's never enough for him. Esther 5.13, yet all this is worth nothing to me, all these belongings, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gates. The lesson from Mordecai is we need a spirit of adoption to adopt people. Literally, physically, spiritually, whatever that looks like. The other lesson from Esther is that we need courage in the midst of circumstance. And the lesson from Haman is there are many of us in here chasing dangling carrots. We're running around the track thinking that if we get that carrot, our life will be satisfied. Everything will be okay. That one job, whatever it is, we, we all have them. We all have them. These dangling carrots, this fantasy life. If I get this one thing, then I will be completely satisfied. But in your pursuit of that, you'll find death. Find a road that is not fulfilling. So many of us want that position, want that one thing. What is it in you? What is that carrot that's hanging out there? I urge you and submit to you that God has provided for you in incredible ways. Let us be satisfied in God. Tyler, Andrea, somebody come help me close this in this, in this time. I think the, the, the lesson learned from King Xerxes is that he always went to these wise men for, for decision-making. And when he was, saw Mordecai, Mordecai actually ended up saving his life. And he sees Mordecai one, one night, he's, he can't go to sleep, and he's reading the, the scriptures are being read to him, and it's recounted to him how Mordecai saved his life. And for the first time that we read, King Xerxes thinks for himself. He thinks for himself, he's no longer a people pleaser, but he says, I'm going to think for myself. It says, dude, let's save Mordecai. I think there's, there's principles we can learn from all these people. I'm sure you'll go read those 10 chapters this week. Maybe God will speak to you something amazing. But ultimately, I, I think we take comfort in this. And in God's sovereignty, in his providence that God chose you just like he chose Esther. He chose Esther to be a daughter that would save her people. I believe that God has chose you to be his son, to be his daughter. I don't just think it because it sounds good. But Jesus says it in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruits and that your fruit should abide 
so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I chose you to live a life that you couldn't live without me. And I chose you to live a law that supersedes all the law that we see. I chose you to be my hands, to be my feet. I chose you to be my son, to be my daughter. I chose you, Ben, to not be arrogant, but to be meek and humble. We love you this morning. Would you stand as I pray for you? God, crazy concepts, crazy things that we could pull from Scripture to apply to our life. And Father, as we do a character study on four people this morning, Jesus, I don't know. I don't know if somebody in here is in a place of a Haman. I don't know if somebody's in here as an Esther who just needs to be encouraged. I don't know if there's a Mordecai in here who needs to encourage somebody. I don't know if there's a King Xerxes in here who needs to quit living off the rule of the, the people-pleasing mentality but starts leaning into you, Jesus, and asking for godly wisdom. For God moments. But Father, I thank you that no matter where we are, you don't leave us there. It's one thing I do know. God, if you use somebody else to do something, that's okay, but it's just another mission for us, another opportunity. One mistake does not define your life. One past moment does not define the outcome. Jesus will bring more opportunities. Thank you how you do that, Father. Would you love your people well this morning? Would you love them so well? Would you send them out by your grace? Go before them. Go behind them. Go around them. Bless your people, your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need